You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. We're going to be all over the Bible uh, this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and so go ahead and turn there if you've got that with uh, word with you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 as well. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, we have some in the back back there, and if you'll slip your hand up, we'll have an usher who will bring you a copy of His Word. So we're in this series called At the Movies, and if you're new and you're sitting there wondering why are these guys shaving their beards and you know dressing up and all these things, I want to point you kind of really quickly back to some of the teachings of Jesus. If you walk through the Gospels and you see how Jesus taught people and you see what he did, most of the time, I'm not telling you he shaved his beard, but he would use something that was a very popular, uh, you know, kind of either... Uh, situation in the world or things that people were aware of to teach theological truths, meaning truths about who he is. And so our At the Movie series is a very similar thing. It's this idea where most of us watch movies. We, we enjoy a lot of the great movies that are out there, and so we want to look at what these movies are teaching us, and then we want to compare it back to what God says. And so today, we're going to be looking at this movie called Top Gun Maverick. Uh, some of you were old enough to see the original in the theaters, and some of you maybe just you know streamed it a couple weeks ago on Netflix. Uh, but Top Gun Maverick came out last summer, I believe, and it's really the, it's the, the, the sequel to the original Top Gun movie. And uh, it's this story of a guy who uh, some would argue has no drive in his life, while others would say he has a lot of drive and just, you know, doesn't know where the ambition is going, so to speak. And so, as you saw in some of those, you know, scenes in that trailer, it's this picture of a guy who didn't really succeed, he didn't really climb the ladder, but he was always successful in what he did. And uh, he, he was called back to Top Gun School to help train some of these young pilots to do a very specific, very dangerous mission. And the movie kind of navigates this, uh, I guess, torn person, this, this, this guy who has found himself uh, at a point in life where he can no longer be the young buckaroo and break all of the rules, uh, but yet that's kind of who he is at, at, at the core. And as I'm watching this movie, I can't help but see that, man, there's leadership teaching after leadership teaching that you can find yourself l- looking at throughout this movie. Uh, one, of the, one of the scenes is Maverick is, is brought in to, to train this young, groups, this young group of recruits to complete this impossible mission, as I said earlier. But instead of looking to kind of recreate himself, which is a bad leadership trait, what he does is he begins to look at the skills that they have, and he he literally says this statement. He says he just intends to find their limits, test them, and push beyond those limits. He's looking looking at them to be the best them that they can be. That's a great leadership trait. We could go through Scripture and, and look at how Jesus calls us to die to self and become the best us we can be by finding ourselves in Him. Right? That's how you, you know, anybody serves you this line that you can be your best self. The best way you can be your best self is to die and to find yourself in Jesus. Okay? That's, that's the truth. And if there's anything other than that, it's just to sell a book. Right? Another great teaching that you could find in this movie is that you never forget where the, who the people are who helped you and helped you get to where you are. 
You look at this relationship between Maverick and they, they called him Iceman. You know, in the first movie, for those of you who watched it, there's this kind of rivalry between the two. But at the end of the movie, there's a friendship that's bonded. And what you see in the second movie is that Iceman has really stuck his neck out for Maverick time and time again. And there becomes this beautiful scene where Maverick's like, I don't know what to do because all I am is a pilot. And Iceman looks at him and says, just let it go. You just got to. You gotta let it go. You gotta grow up. You gotta mature. You gotta move on. And you can tell between the bond that they hold that these words mean something because he never forgot the friendship that he had in Iceman. Maverick always held that relationship near and dear. And so we could go down this 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 tunnel of looking at you know friendships and how they matter throughout Scripture. But there's one principle that really stuck out to me that I, I want to kind of lean in. And it's this idea of doing everything that you can with excellence. Striving for excellence. We'll talk about that a little deeper. But this movie begins to uh, show us this picture of excellence in kind of a, a, a attention at some point. I don't know if you remember. It's probably the first 15, 20 minutes in the movie. Uh, Maverick has just broken some record. He went like Mach 10 or something like that. I have no idea what that means. Fast, right? And so... He breaks this record against his boss's uh, advice and against really clearance, and he gets called back into the office, and his boss begins to look at him and go, look, dude, you've been in the military for umpteen years, and you are kind of a nobody, but yet you're a decorated officer in the sense that you have broken every record there's to break, you've gone on all these amazing missions, you are the man, but yet you haven't climbed the ladder. And when I'm listening to this, I think it's an admiral speak to Maverick, I'm kind of torn because there's this moment as I'm listening to it going, well, maybe we could talk about how Maverick just really had this failure to launch. Like he had so much potential, but he never, ever seized the potential and raised to the level in which he could. That's, that's certainly an argument that we could make, but there's also another side that you could look at Maverick and go, man, this guy did everything the best he could, and he just didn't care about climbing the ladder. And so you're sitting here going, okay, this is a great leadership talk, Chris, but what does this have to do with Jesus? And what I want us to start off by, by understanding and getting hopefully to this idea of striving for excellence and this biblical concept of our identity in Christ We need to begin with an understanding of what we were made to do, how we were made to do it. And one of the things that we're going to look at is this idea of work and accomplishment. Idea of work and accomplishment. So Genesis chapter 1, and hopefully I can take you through this path and we'll get to a place where you go, oh, all that makes sense. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, Katie read it for us earlier. I think sometimes when you start to talk about work, before I read this passage, we can get to this place to think that work is only something that came after the fall, right? Because work stinks. Some of you enjoy it, and you're, I guess you're a masochist to a, to a degree, but for the most part, most people don't like work, right? Work is hard. Why would we ever want to do that? We want to have fun. We want to live on vacation forever. But Genesis chapter 1, as she read for us, kind of unpacks this idea that work is who we are. So verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. We know what that's talking about, right? That's not necessarily work. That's fun. And fill the earth 
and subdue it. Subdue it. Okay? Here's your first sign of overseeing the earth and working it. And then it says, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there's two things that are happening right there in that text. The first thing is God is showing us our pecking order in creation. We are over all things. So when we talked about this last week, creation, evolution, this is another one of those arguments for creation because we didn't just come from a monkey, right? We, we were given a, a specific place in life. But the second thing it's doing is he's showing us and he's telling us, you will subdue the earth. You will work the grounds. And it's even further fleshed out after the fall happens. So flip a couple pages with me to Genesis chapter 3. This is where he fleshes out how you were made to work, but yet work then became difficult. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. So this is after they have eaten from the fruit that they were told not to. So that they've been found by the Lord. They were hiding. They've been found. The Lord has already told Eve her punishment, and now he looks at Adam. Verse 17, it says, And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. So when you work the land, it's not going to always give you what you want. It's going to be difficult. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So he's playing on this picture. He's kind of pointing us back to this idea that you were created to subdue the earth. You were created for work. Work is not a sin. Work is not a punishment of your sin. Work is what we were created to do. In work, we can worship God. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But when the fall happens, that's when work became toilsome. That's when work became hard. That's when work became, oh my gosh, I don't want to wake up. I want to hit the snooze button, right? And so when we look at this picture of work, at this point in a sermon, here's where most pastors will go, and they're going to leave something off a lot of the times, in my opinion, what I've heard over and over again. They go to this passage, Colossians 3. We, we know it. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ Jesus. Depending on your different translations, what you're going to read in those two verses in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae is, hey, do everything to the best of your ability because it's for the Lord. That is a great message. Here is the problem with that message alone. The context of the message is not work really hard. That's not what Paul's saying there. There is something much deeper than just doing things because it goes to the Lord. He, he's, he's looking at something deeper. Paul is talking about our identity in this passage. Go ahead and make sure you're there with me. Colossians chapter 3. I want to unpack part of this together this morning. Colossians chapter 3. If you're flipping through the New, New Testament, a, a fun thing that I learned early in the life was you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. Where's Colossians? There it is. 
It's the company, by the way, in case you didn't catch that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. We just read it. It's unpacking this, this understanding of giving our work to the Lord. But if you'll notice, a lot of your Bibles have a headline. The headline of that passage says, Rules for Christian Households. What does the headline prior to that passage say? It's the beginning of chapter 3. For most of our Bibles, you know what it's going to say? Put on the new self. Put on the new self. Find your identity in something different than you've always found your identity in. Find your identity in Christ. We have this core value here called strive for excellence. So we call membership having a seat at the table. In case you're new and you don't understand our language, we say, hey, do you have a seat at the table? That really just means, like, is this home for you? We don't make you take a test and come down front and pray over you and put your picture up on the thing. Although, if you want us to do that, we won't do it. So, um, we just we, we want people to know that, like, as much as you're a member of us, we are a member of you, right? Like, we are the body. You can go through 1 Corinthians, you can see that... Jesus, through Paul, says to us, like, hey, each of us have been brought together for this purpose. And some of you are a foot, and some of you are an armpit, and some of you are, he didn't say that part, and some of you have all these different skills and, and all these things, but when, we brought, when we're brought together, we are this complete and total body. And so it's kind of this picture that we need each other. And so we, we use the language of having a seat at the table because throughout the Bible, there's this idea of table fellowship. Where time and time again, believers come together around a table. Jesus does it with his, with his guys. We, do it, we see it in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And so we have this identity of people who sit at the table together. But then there are values that push us in that identity. And I could go through all of them, but you know we've only got 30, 35 minutes. So the one I'm going to hit is this idea of striving for excellence. And it comes from this passage in Colossians chapter 3. This idea that because we have now been bought with a price, you, you, I don't know if you know this, but your life is not pointless or meaningless. Your life has value. Not just because you exist, but because Jesus died for you. And he says, your life was worth my life. You have value. I love you exactly how you are. And because I love you exactly how you are, I'm going to die for you and call you to something greater call you to be with me. Call you to be my child. And because you are my child, you won't do things the way you used to do them. You won't just do something going, well, how much does it pay? What's it worth to me? What could I get out of this thing if I put in it? No, you'll do something because now you see that everything that I've given you has a purpose. And the purpose is worship. So when we talk about striving for excellence, I'll talk about it with our staff over and over again. It's not that you're going to be perfect. It's not that my sermons are going to be perfect, or our, our worship songs are going to be perfect, or our gatherings, or who we are as people in any way, shape, or form will ever be perfect this side of heaven. But what it is, is we're going to acknowledge that in everything we do, we do it for the purpose and the function from Jesus and for Jesus. And so we strive for excellence. But I think one of the struggles that the modern day Christian has is this identity crisis. 
Here's what I mean. We recognize that Jesus is Lord, most of us. And, and, and we're supposed to serve him, and, and we probably want to, to a degree, but you know what? We, we don't really know that we can do it on our own power. And so we get to this point where we recognize, hey, we, we do need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to be able to do these amazing works. Uh, Ephesians says he will do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. And, and we, we need the Spirit to do this. But here's the thing that we're missing. It's much more than just a need for the Spirit. Because here's the thing, when you become a Christian, when you repent, believe, put your faith in Christ, and you walk with Him, you don't just need the Spirit, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Romans says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now as a Christian, you have Him in your heart, living through you. And so it's not really this connection of, well, Spirit, move through me today because yesterday you weren't there. I think it's more of a, Spirit, help me to recognize your power today because I stifled who you were yesterday. Do you see the difference? Do you see the identity crisis? See, one is going, I, I think I believe in Jesus, but I need something more. And the other one is going, I have Jesus and I don't need anything else. I just need to become less. Does that make sense? So when we start walking down this path of trying to find out who we are and start understanding how we work and our work becomes worship, we can start having a healthy relationship with the world around us and the way we work and the way we uh, climb the ladder. So what is Paul talking about specifically? How does, it, how, how does this identity in Christ work? Go, go back to chapter 3, the very first verse. How, how do we get to this place where the Spirit is just moving through us and we have this identity? Because, hey, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still going, I need the Spirit. How do I recognize that He does live in me? Verse 1. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ. It's this picture. Uh, that's why we do bab believer's baptism, right? Because we are buried with our sins and Christ. But we are raised to walk in the newness of who He is. And now the newness of who we have been made to be. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Fix your eyes on His throne, on His dominion, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then this is where it all, this is where the battle happens, right? Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Stop. Hold on. Pause right there. If you think about the struggles, the relational issues that you have, the problems at work, the financial issues, all the things, how often are they really worldly problems or are they heavenly problems? Right? Like if we could just change our perspective for just a moment and whatever the middle of the dispute is, that person's talking about me over here, I don't like how this thing's going on, whatever it is, if we could just change our perspective for just a moment, how often are we so focused on the earthly things rather than the heavenly things? 
Like, I'm worried about what you think, or I'm worried about what they think, or I'm worried about this thing or that thing, and I don't make enough money here, or I need more money there. I need all these other things in my life to make me feel good. I need to, the prestige, I need the authority, I need the name, the title, whatever it is, and we slow down for just a second. We go, man, I feel empty, I feel lost, and I would go, how often are you focusing on the earthly things versus the heavenly things? Right? I mean, maybe I'm just alone in this, but for me, when I get in those dark valleys, it's because I've been looking left and right rather than up. And I need to look back to Him to find who I am. Because once I know whose I am, that's where I can determine what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in Christ. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And then in verse 3, He puts the nail in it. For you have died. That's a great evangelistic message, right? Hey, guys, if you want to be in Christ, die. I mean, that's like you see the youth coming down front at the camp right there. They're all coming down right at that one. That's right. The band's playing. The pad's going. Hey, I just need you to die real quick. Most of us aren't like signing up for that. But here's the reality. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what it means. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about all the things in, in this world that shimmer and shine. It's about him, finding yourself in him. And if you can ever, for just a moment, just pray that God will show you just a, 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 a picture. If, you, if you're hesitant to go, what? God, I, I'm scared to let everything go and just kind of be in you. Maybe if you just pray, God, give me a picture of that, you'll see that it's the best release you'll ever find. It's the best answer to becoming whole that there is. Because that's what you were created for. You were created to be His. And so all of the things of this world will begin to fall away because the purpose will be Whatever he has, whatever I can do for the kingdom. That's why we say love God, love people, and what? Invest in his kingdom. Because we can really look at this love God, love people situation, and we can go, yeah, I can still get mine up in there, right? But when we talk about investing in his kingdom, we are dying to ourselves. It's not about us. It's about him. And that is when we find the picture of who we are. For the next several verses, he begins to kind of give examples. So once you know that you've died to self and you're in Christ, here's some ways that, that begins to show itself. And he talks about being a husband, talks about being a wife, talks about having employees, talks about having slaves, because in that culture they had slaves. And so if, if you're going to have them, treat them well. And then he gets to our passage, the one in Colossians 3, 23, that talks about doing everything to the Lord. And so you see, it's not just this passage that we can just take out of context and go, oh, strive for excellence. No, it's about knowing whose you are. And when you know whose you are, you can figure out what you're supposed to do in life. 
and that's to do everything with excellence, pointing back to him because everything is unto him. So when we look at Maverick's situation in this movie, and he's in the front of this admirable, admiral, excuse me, and the guy's saying, hey, you haven't climbed the ladder. You, you haven't done the things to get to where you need to. You, there, there's this picture, there's this moment where we could look at him and go, well, maybe he needs to advance. And some would go, well, no, he's good right where he is. That's where he's functioning, where he's made to you know, function. And so really quickly, in just a few seconds, I, I want to try to talk about what does the Bible say about advancement? So, Lord willing, you, you, you've grasped that in Christ you, you were made to worship him. And through, through our work, we can worship him. Work became hard because of the fall. So you were made to work. There's nothing wrong with work. Work's good for you, right? But what about advancement? What about climbing the proverbial ladder? So some of you out there are going, if you're not working to climb the ladder at all times, you're not working hard enough. And some of you are going, no, 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 just kind of coast, right? That's just your, your, your mindset. So what's the right answer? Should you always be looking to become the boss, to become the owner? Or should you just kind of, you know, stay here? Well, let's really quickly... Let's look at your motives first. Let's, let's talk about idolatry. So one, one uh, I, I guess, heart reason why, why you could really want to climb the ladder is because you want people to think you're something. Right? Maybe you've been there. I've been there. I wanted to climb the ladder and whatever I was so that I could get this title so that someone in my life could think well of me. Well, I don't know if you ever get to that place. I don't know if you've been there, but I've gotten to that place and you've gotten that title and the title really just doesn't fill you right all it does is actually reveal more of the cracks in your moral and ethical failures in the places that you're not enough because you can't be everything for everyone and so why would you want to climb the ladder is it because you want to fill a gap in your heart well let's go back to the problem there the gap can only be filled by christ You've seen time and time again these, these famous athletes who, who they stand up and they talk about, I've had everything. I've won this championship. I've got all the money. I've got all the girls. I've got all the things. And I got the end of the day, and none of it meant anything. I still felt empty. Now, I'm not making an argument that climbing a ladder is bad. I'm making an argument of why you want to climb the ladder. Let's look at this other side. So uh, you've probably seen salesmen who are salespeople, I don't know what the proper terms is today, it's people who sell stuff, okay? And they were really good at it, right? And because they were really good, what happened? They kind of climbed the ladder, and eventually maybe they became like a director of the area or a manager. And I don't know if you've ever worked for some of these people, but they get to that place, and they are awful managers. They were really great salespeople, terrible managers, You've probably heard the phrase in relational terms of outkicking your coverage. You know, like it's usually the husband saying about his wife, I really outkick my coverage, right? And most times it's true for us guys, right? But you know, there's also a sense of that in work. So if you go back to many of the passages in Galatians and other places that talk about our spiritual gifting, you've been given a set of gifts. And what you're doing when you're saying, hey, I want to climb the ladder and maybe get out of these giftings, you might be saying, I don't want to function in the gifting that God's given me anymore. I want those giftings. 
And God will never bless you outside of you functioning in your gifts. Like if you want to try to be somebody else, you'll never find blessings in that area. You'll only find blessings when you're functioning the way God has called you to function. So advancement, is it good, is it bad? The answer is it could be good and it could be bad. Right? There's nothing wrong with working hard and climbing up the ladder. The question is why do you want to do it? The second question is, are you gifted to continue to do that and work? So we're looking at these two ideas of maverick. Working hard, not climbing the ladder. Well, work is made to be hard because we fell. So maverick pushed through. Why didn't he advance? Is it because he's lazy? Not at all. He had a different agenda. I would say he had a different skill set. His skill set was not manager material. If you ever watched the movies, that's not who the cat is, right? He functioned right where he was made to function. Maybe you are too. So what does all this have to do with everything that we've talked about so far in this identity? Here's the bottom line. Our identity in Christ is what should drive us. Not somebody else, not our finances, not anything else in this world of trying to get to this place of stature. It's our identity. And the struggle that we have is we have to balance fixing our eyes on the earthly things and the heavenly things. Hunter, you can go ahead and come on up. He is to be the fuel in our motivations. We can be great husbands. We can be great wives. We can be great dads and moms and friends and workers. But if the reason that we're doing these things, hear me out. If the reason you're being great in whatever situation you're being great in is so that you can be great, then you've missed the point. You get it? Like go back to the Colossians passage. If the reason that you're being great, if you, if you want to be a football coach, a basketball coach, a track coach, and you want to win that state championship, you want to lead your team to this place, and all you want to do that is so that everyone else can go, man, look how great you are. You've missed it. All of it. I, I met with a group of guys this past week, and we're walking through this book together, and we're, we're looking at how God has really called us all to just kind of run after him. That's, that's really the calling in life. And so the job that you have, the kids that you have, the relationships that you have, every single one of these things that you have has been given to you to pursue Jesus. So if you begin to pursue Jesus in all of those areas and value him above everything else, meaning that when you're coaching that team or you're leading your your employees at work, and you're doing it in a godly fashion, looking for opportunities to elevate the gospel and point them back to their ultimate need for a creation, for a creator, excuse me, that is when you'll begin to see the true fruits of your work because you found your identity in Christ. It isn't about the things that you get in this world. It's about the things that you got in Jesus. And so we have to stop trying to just seek notoriety and fame and, and money and all of the things of this world and lift our eyes on the heavenly things and say, God, what do you have for me? I challenged that group of men I was meeting with to every day wake up and ask God, dream. God, how would you use me today? When's the last time you asked that? When's the last time you just woke up and said, 
How would you use me today? See, we wake up and we check our emails. We check the to-do list and all the things that we have to do. But we don't slow down and say, God, how would you use me? How would you use me as a teacher? How would you use me as a banker? How would you use me as a construction worker? How would you use me putting in data? How would you use me in all these situations that you have put me in? See, that's where it shifts, right? Your work is not just like an outcome of sin. He has put you there to be a missionary right where you are. How would God use you? We've got to find our identity in Him and not the things of this world. And when that begins to happen, He will set a fire like you've never seen. And we'll begin to see people come to faith in Christ. We want to see churches grow, and if we're honest, most churches grow because of transfer growth. And that, 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 what that means is somebody got squalled up at one church and so went to another church. Or, or they heard that church's program over there was really good, or this preacher's really amazing, or that worship sucks, so I'm leaving there. That's transfer growth. <sighs> Guys, we have got to start seeing new believer growth. Because I wasn't called and you weren't called to just steal from some other church. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. We need to pray that God will set a fire to our heart so that we will function in the identity of who he has made us to be in our work and the way we pursue him. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us become less so that you can become more? Would you strip away all of the earthly things? Even the way that we worship through music at times. Would, we, would you strip away the lights, the production? Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to run the race with endurance and acknowledge that all things were created by and for and are held together by you. Lord, if there's anyone in the room this morning that's been struggling to recognize that in Christ they have the Spirit of God living inside of them, reveal yourself right now to them, Lord. Wherever there's pain, I'm praying for healing. Wherever there's brokenness, I'm praying for restoration. God, you are above all things. We trust in you for everything. Set a fire in our hearts and in our souls to burn for you in this community and around the world. Not so that our little individual kingdoms like Piedmont and the new cities, the Inglesides, the Northways, whatever names we've taken will grow, but so that the kingdom of God will flourish in your name. Help us to seek you in all things. It's in your son's name I pray. God's people said, let's stand up and worship.